If I just sit at the office and wait for the phone to call from my my book of business, hoping that someone will give me a referral, I'm going to grow really slow, and that's not what I'm, I want to do. I want to I want to build this thing and、uh, make it something bigger. I'd say within the next two years, I'll be the top five ten percent of the independent insurance agencies in Arizona based on the growth at this point. Welcome to the Success Flow Podcast, where our mission is simple: to be better each day. And relay our findings with other relentless humans defining success for themselves. If that sounds like you, let's begin. Phil, I'm excited for、uh, this episode. We got an amazing guest on、uh, today. We both know this guy very well.、Um, I met him what, maybe five? I think it was five years ago, four or five years ago. Anyway, an incredible dude runs an incredible business, has an amazing、uh, family, and、uh, has a really cool background as well. So, without further ado, Mike Gallagher, welcome to the Success Flow Pod, my man. How you feeling, Phil and Stephen? I'm doing good. It's been it's been a while. What? Not even 24 hours. <laughs> right.、Uh, that's right. Mike is another Junto brother, which、uh, you know, Phil. We talk about that a lot on the pod and our the things we learn in that mastermind group. But it's such a great group, and we like to you know bring bring some guests with those guys、uh, in there to get their takes on on their life and whatnot. But Gallagher, you and I met、uh, through B and I actually.、Um, you, you joined. I, I was a core member when when our chapter started about five and a half years ago or so, and I think you joined not too long after that, which. Probably been about what three four years I think, and you know if if you're not familiar, any of the listeners not familiar with BNI, it's a local networking group, it's actually a global association, and、uh, there's individual chapters that you kind of lock down your seat, your category、uh, for your chapter. I own the payroll spot. Gallagher owns the insurance spot for commercial insurance and runs an incredible business. But thank God I met you, dude. You bring so much humor and so much personality to our chapter. Like it'd be so boring without you in there. You really livened it up. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like somebody needs to kick me under the table or censor me, but yeah, I enjoy that. That's a great group. In fact, I would have been here in there as a founding member, but at the time, man, I was broke. I was I was a one man show at the time, putting aside two three hours every Wednesday and not having enough money for the dues. I had to step away until I think it was maybe a year year and a half later that things started finally finally started to roll. I was able to get some.、Uh, Some business in the door, and haven't looked back. Absolutely, and I, I I find that very interesting because I we didn't meet at Junto either. We actually met with the, the as Phoenix gets smaller and smaller through the、uh, advisory. Uh, the Vinnies at St. Vincent de Paul. In my very first meeting, after things got weird, they're like, "We're going to have to do a Zoom for this one." And、uh, you were kind of the the ringleader in that circle on the on the Zoom call, getting everybody kind of loosened、yeah. up and and out of their comfort zone on my very first、uh, advisory meeting, which is just before. I, actually, I guess that was a year or two before coming into contact with Junto. So, had you just had started the advisory board then as well? No, I think I'd been in there maybe two years, one or two years before you. But explain why it was weird. It was weird because it was COVID, and that was why we were doing the Zoom stuff. <laughs> People are wondering what was going on. It's so weird. But yeah, COVID was、uh, was the reason we all, even B and I, went Zoom at the time. But that's when you and I first met, Phil. And man, I tell you, ever since I joined both those groups, you both have been great friends and. I tell my friends who aren't in groups, 
you need to jump on and get into some type of a support group, network group. They don't understand the importance of it. I think a lot of them feel like they know everything or they don't want to deal with their competition, but creating alliances within your industry and with people all over the, the state, the Maricopa County is crucial for everybody's growth. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell us a little bit, I guess, setting the table. Could you give us kind of a, a rundown of with your journey leading up to Toro, kind of your, your career path and give us a synopsis just to set the table on your kind of growth, growth trajectory? Yeah, I'll be quick with, with just kind of up to that. So ASU graduate from ASU, I've just, I was in miscellaneous jobs in sales and marketing, but if I'm to be honest, I realized quickly that if I don't own my own business, I'm not going to have a job because for whatever reason, headstrong, a little stubborn, you name it. It was tough keeping some of those positions because I felt like I knew it all. And that goes along with maturity and now a lot of, uh, of knowledge that I didn't know all of it. But anyways, all this growth happened while I was, while I was in, these, in and out of these sales and marketing jobs. I got in with the Farm Bureau for a couple months, realized I didn't want to go the captive route and thought the independent route where we had a lot more options sounded a lot better. So I ended up signing on with an agency from there, helped build their personal and commercial lines in addition to building a wealth management division, really enjoyed it. And just, I wanted to always start my own agency, but I had, I'd been raising my three kids at the age of three, four, and five, all the way up until high school. And I did not feel like I wanted to get into something that was going to take time away from recitals, take time away from games, school, you name it. I just didn't want to be that that father that was absent. But once they got into high school and they realized that dad didn't exist, but friends and everything else did, it allowed me to step away and to start Toro Insurance. And that first year, I even venture to say two years, was probably the worst time of my life. Even looking at my divorce, the divorce was tough on the, with the baby mama, but it was not as tough as starting this company because I was raising three high school kids who really didn't understand the difficulties that their father was going through because I kept it somewhat behind closed doors because I slept in my room. My office was in my room. I, it, they just thought dad's good. We got money, but they didn't realize that we had been, we came up on a year and we had two months left in the bank for mortgage. And I was looking at rentals and still trying to figure out what to do and came across a couple friends that I grew up with who are actually brothers who decided, Hey, let's, uh, let's partner. And it was a quick, it was a quick partnership. We put everything together. And from there on, Toro just kind of blew up. It's amazing what can happen when you have capital investors that have got the money to help you jumpstart. Because I could have done it like every other insurance agent and slowly grow, grew the book of business year after year after year. But I was 43 when I started. And at that time, I just, I, I wasn't willing to put in the time to grow that year after year by myself and maybe one or two employees so with some help from Capital, we launched Toro. We started out as a personal division with home, auto, toys, quickly jumped into the commercial and life space, and we have just been rolling ever since. And I tell you, there's a 
there's something you join a different club when you start your own business from scratch. I don't, I'm not I'm not taken away from somebody who has inherited a company or has taken over a turnkey operation because it takes a lot of work. But there's a lot of other work that goes involved when you start from ground zero and you start building it from there on. Yeah, that's a that's a really great backstory, Gallagher. And there's a lot to unpack there that we'll we'll dive into. Um, sticking to the professional side of things, I've seen the growth because you you know when you and I met, you were you and I kind of started our businesses pretty close to each other. I launched in 2017, and you launched 18, I think, right? So January of 18. 18, yeah. So just a year, just uh, not even six months apart, we launched July 2017. But yeah, I mean, that those first few years, man, I mean, you and I talk about it, it's, it's tough and it's it's challenging and you are a little bit on an island and you go through those ups and downs, but it's so cool to see your growth and, you know, having those partners with you that can help you grow and expand and do the things that you want to do. I mean, you're not in operation, what is it, five years, I think, for small businesses that are you know, going under is like over half or maybe, and I think it even grows further, the, you know, the longer you, you go, but you've expanded, you've doubled in staff, you've, you've added more products and services, you have high retention and you've done a really great job going from the ground up. So you have a lot to uh, pat yourself on the back for. And um, so talk about that a little bit and just the culture that you've developed with Toro and uh, you know, the team that you have, because you know, you're, you're obviously personable and, and very good at what you do, but you've got to be able to translate that down to your team to make sure the clients are taken care, you know, care of the same way you would. So talk about that expansion, especially with the acquisition that you had out in uh, the West side and what that was like bringing in a whole uh, crew that was already established and bringing them under the Toro umbrella. So Toro started out like when, when the two of us or the three of us met, I was actually either a two or a three man team. It was, it was, it was substantially, slow, but business was coming in because I, I do a lot of referral partners with the mortgage industry. The auto dealership industry didn't come until later on, but we did a lot of did a lot of work and we needed more people. But until we brought on the, the capital, I, I couldn't do anything. But yeah, it quickly grew it's from in the, in the five, six years to to five people. And we were just we were just like kind of busting at the seams, but we were looking for other opportunities. I had put in some some bids on other insurance companies in the valley, and was trying to trying to buy that book of business. And I tell you, I was so close to buying one, but it it got it, it got too much. I had to walk away. A good friend of mine, Mike Brewer, got on the phone with me. He owns uh, Benjamin Franklin Plumbing, and I say, oh, yeah, Hey, we know Mike. You were you were dealing with was selling your company. Give me some advice. And he's like, Mike, let me tell you this. You have to be willing to walk away. Don't get so tied into it that that if the price continues to grow, you're so tied into it that you're willing to overpay for something that that may not give you a return in in a reasonable amount of time. And that advice kept me from pulling the trigger on this, this one deal because it did. It just kept raising. It was a bidding war with me and another guy. And at that point, I finally, I, I stepped back. I said, it's all yours. I don't want it. And I, I think I did the better deal on that one. But we're still looking for opportunities. And we, when we tried, when mortgage rates did what they did and the market did what it did, mortgage companies stopped getting as many deals. And so the fewer deals they got meant the fewer leads that I got for people needing homeowners insurance to, in order to close that loan up. 
So I had to look elsewhere for leads. BNI was good, but it still wasn't feeding the team of five. So I had to open up and diversify. And that's why I got into to marketing to the auto dealerships in Arizona. And I ran across this spectacular uh, leader who was out there running a team and just dominating me. I could not get in certain doors. She would occasionally call me because she'd see some of my marketing stuff in there. And we went back and forth. And I've, I I threw a few things on the table, but at the time she was, she was totally wrapped up into it. Loyal. I'm good, Mike. I don't want to do anything. But I was persistent over the over two, three years of just reaching out, giving her a phone call, checking in, how are you doing? She ended up calling me saying, hey, my boy needs a job. He's a he's an outstanding insurance agent. Take it up, take him on if you want. And so I interviewed him and she was correct that ever since then, th- this guy has has blown it up in the industry. But because of that, it opened the door to bringing on this woman. Teresa is her name. But this group she's with was a huge captive uh, carrier in the valley. And uh, I was a little nervous because I was thinking I might get cease and desist. I might get served with, with a lawsuit. That makes you nervous when you're a small fry out there. And so I played it safe. I, I was being careful. I brought in my attorneys to see, oversee everything. And uh, yeah, because as you may know, you don't have to be guilty in order to be sued. You you could be innocent and not have done anything wrong. And if they have enough money, they can take you to the cleaners. And all you're doing is trying to fight back and uh, and just kind of save your business. But on that case, make sure you got an insurance policy in place that protects you in, in case something like that happens. But anyways, she was like a turnkey operation. She had a team of 10. So overnight, Last year, my team went from five to 17, and that was an eye-opening experience. Uh, That's when I brought, you know, that's why I was glad that, Stephen, that you were my payroll because I would not want to be doing that manual. You guys made it so seamless to bring on everybody to get it all situated. I got Matt Gardner, a good friend of mine, do my health benefits. He got me set up. I got a bookkeeper to really get my books in order. When you grow, you got certain pains and, they, and those pains grow even more so as you as that growth happens. And so all these people coming in helped to make that that happen. It was pretty seamless. But yet payroll was the big just that's a lot of money that you pay out each month to these employees. And uh, I th- that was probably my biggest pain was making sure that uh, we had the capital in place to bring on a team of six to or a team of 11 and and uh, make that a whopping 17. Now, some people listening might say 17 is not a lot. Well, it is when you go from starting your company with six years ago. I remember when you were walking us through that up north at uh, at the summit and you were you were just kind of getting rolling, and that was a big portion of your value proposition and plan going into this year. And just over your progression of getting to know you, there's two things that I would I would say is really sets you apart. One being the resourcefulness, and you kind of started out with that. This this refreshed as you started your own business, knowing that you didn't know it all, and willingness to reach out and ask questions is one. But two is thinking outside of the box, 
when you're talking about insurance, we we joke around in Junto and, and everyone does about, you know, the commoditization of it. How do you set yourself apart? And that's something that I can tell is always on the top of your mind is what makes Toro different and what makes Mike Gallagher as a founder of Toro different. Can you walk us through, has that changed from, you know, just launching the business or how is your mindset there progressing? Or do you even agree that those are two things that you've been working on? What makes Toro different? So when I was at the other agency, it was that agency or bust. Everybody else were considered competitors, enemies, don't talk, don't do anything with them. They're, t- they're poisoned. We are the only winners in the Valley. And I always was uneasy with that. So I, I quickly, when I started my own company, I started spreading my, my feelers out, getting into different associations like BNI, um, be- getting into other associations like St. Vincent de Paul Phoenix or the Care Fund or the, uh, the Arizona Heart Foundation and just and really started figuring out where I fit. And what I also joined was the Independent Insurance Agents Brokers of Arizona. It's called the Big Eye because it's a lot to say. But the big eye oversees and, and works with all the independent insurance agencies in Arizona. And I, I started trying to figure out, like, how do I climb that ladder and how can I do it the quickest? And I, I started asking around, how do I get to be a part of, of the board? How can I get into leadership in this organization? Because it really is a great way to, to rub shoulders with some big, big insurance agencies in the Valley and start to create alliances those alliances have been amazing resources for me. They don't look at me as a competitor and nor do I look at them as a competitor. I think we respect each other as competitors and we don't fear each other, but we more or less are there to help each other out. I think in my early infancy, I might be taking more than giving, but that's okay. I, I think they all realize that I am taking a lot more, but I do my best to give back. But I quickly went from committee chair to and jumped to the executive board the next year. And so I was secretary, treasurer, and then, and at this point I'm vice president. And being in that helped me with resources to grow. Like there's a lot of questions that you have when you don't have dad to turn to and say, Hey dad, you know, you've started this company. What do I do from here? Man, I, my father's a fireman and my mother was a teacher. So they, they do step back when I start asking them business questions because it's just not, they didn't have to know those things. So it was, in, it was crucial that I went out there and found those, those people to talk to. Junto has been huge with, with people to call, call on. And there's a, you got Chris Duncan in there who also has his own insurance agency. He doesn't look at me as a competitor and nor do I, we, we have, we've thrown ideas back and forth. And I tell you, that has that partnership, that relationship has been ideal. And, you know, I'll thank him to the bitter end on a lot of the questions that he's answered for me. But what makes me different is the fact that I, I'm always to be different in a good way. So me and yeah, you've got a, you've got a tagline that says no bull. Yeah. My, my tagline is Toro insurance. No, the no bull broker. And, um, Right. Yeah, I don't want Earnhardt coming after me, so I had to change it up a little bit. My thing is, I really put a lot of emphasis on marketing, and I, 
you know, I know, I know a lot of the insurance agencies out there and they, they don't have, um, you know, marketing reps, but I actually purchased two vehicles and, and I have these two uh, marketing specialists out there just hitting up companies and filling that sales pipeline for me. Because if I just sit at the office and wait for the phone to call from my, my book of business, hoping that someone will give me a referral, I'm going to grow really small or I'm going to grow really, uh, really slow. And that's not what I'm, I want to do. I want to I want to build this thing and uh, make it something bigger. I'd say within the next two years, I'll be the top five, 10 percent of the independent insurance agencies in Arizona based on the growth at this point. Yeah, I believe that you're you're definitely on your way. And I think the biggest difference, um, you know, you mentioned the word captive versus independent. And just for the listeners, the difference is if when you think of like Allstate or State Farm or some of these insurance agencies out there that you see, you know, on every corner, those are captive, meaning those uh, policies that you get, they're only they can only use Allstate products or only use State Farm products. Those agents are captive to those insurance carriers within and at being an independent broker like yourself, Gallagher Toro. You can shop anybody. So you have the best interest of your your client uh, in mind and finding the best rates for the best coverage with it doesn't matter which carrier uh, you use. And that's, I think, what is really cool, because there are a lot of independent brokers as well. But what sets you apart is you're active in the community. You're on those boards. You're in the the big eye, as you call it. You're moving up the ladder there on the on the board of directors and just getting involved heavily. And that provides credibility for what it is that you're doing. Um so pivoting away from the business side and the professional side, you mentioned earlier that you were a single dad. You raised three kids um, early on. They were they were little, right? Three, five, and uh, you know they were young, elementary school kids, toddlers. So what was uh, you know being a single dad, being a single parent in general? I know is extremely difficult. Um, I've seen it in my family, and you know, kind of talk about your upbringing a little bit and what gave you the strength to uh, continue being there for them. So I think. I think you're born with certain traits. I'm not saying, yeah, I, I do think that some people are, are meant to work in certain capacities. Some are meant to be leaders. I, I don't, I don't want to say that I, I, uh, I, I learned a lot of that. I almost feel like it was, it was born, but it was, but just cause it was born didn't mean I had to work to get to that point. So I was very competitive throughout, throughout my life. I'm a, I was in every sport that I possibly could be in high school. I was a swimmer and that was my, my big sport was swimming. And when I got to ASU, I converted from looking at a black line for hours to playing water polo and was on the water polo team at ASU. And I tell you, that was my most favorite, but I've done soccer, baseball. I liked pole vault, but it, when you start getting up that high and you just have one stick between you and the ground, it, it was a little, yeah, I don't know. It was not my favorite. Although it was cool. <laughs> The girls liked it, but I did. I was not a fan. And you only run a little distance. You don't. Have, I did not want to run the mile or anything like that. But yeah, so I was always competitive in sports, and I think it transitioned that mindset where, you know, to be the, the swimmer that I was and to compete. I mean, I wanted to go to the Olympics. I was. I was set. But you were swimming two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening. Whether it was cold, hot, raining, it didn't matter. So you started to get disciplined right away. And I tell you, anyone who does club sports, mad respect because the time and, and, and how about the parents, too, for having to commit to that. But there's a lot of commitment that these kids do. My daughter's a collegiate dancer now. And having seen her dance from the age of five, the amount of hours 
there's a lot of discipline that goes in on that. So, yeah, I've always been competitive. And I think that that helped when it got to the point where that first year, literally it was, I, I don't know, your listeners, I'll just be straight up. I mean, I cried a lot of evenings and there was, it is because there was, no, that was my only outlet. So, but I knew that get it out because the next day is a new day and I'm going to take just one more step. I'm just going to take one more day. And before I knew it, the year was up I had art, and, and things were starting to get easy. But when I started that company, I only knew how to sell. I didn't know how to write a policy. So I had to hire somebody after hours from another agency to teach me how to do that. And, and so you know, you figure out ways to get through it all. I mean, I, there, there's, yeah, there's nothing easy about it, but you have to be willing to say, take one more step. I'm just going to, I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to quit, but I had to take it in day chunks because if I would have looked at it year at a time, I probably would have broke and I would have just went and looked elsewhere. God, I, I love that. I, I, it just breaks it down to the utmost, you know, simplest point is each day, what do I have to learn and execute on to get better and build this business? And I think there's a lot of advice given that entrepreneurs, if they knew how hard it was, they probably wouldn't start <laughs> what you just said. If you're looking at the macro, yeah. if you're looking at the macro or like a marathon, you start, which I know you both are runners too. You pick one, you get to a point where you're so fatigued, you just have to pick another smaller distance to get to and keep resetting. So that mindset to when you're talking about launching a business is huge. I'm, I'm curious about how uh, getting to know you, one of your biggest strengths and I love your perspective on is, is your faith and spirituality, which, you know, some, some folks don't, you know, discuss in regard to their, their long, long-term success. Where has that been for you over the course of everything that you've been through? Maybe not necessarily how directly ties to business, but how has your faith impacted this journey that you've been on? So I've always, I, I grew up in the LDS Mormon faith and I tell you, the church is good and it's good with kids because it teaches them the stories. It teaches them to believe in something. It teaches, there's a lot that goes in that I think a child needs growing up with spirituality and religion. And so I grew up with that. Um, my father wasn't active in the church. My mother was. So I got to see both sides. And and we were somewhat, I don't want to say bad Mormons, but we were just like, we we were, we had a perspective. I was, I was okay with, with, you know, there's certain things about the faith that that uh, we didn't always just we agreed with or on the same page, but we still we were we were committed to it. And, you know, I still I'll die Mormon. But the what really was taught me is when I went on the two year mission the, the and I went to Montana Billings mission, which covered all of Montana and a third of Wyoming. And it I want to say it was partially spiritual, but it was also a lot of personal growth, because at the time you could only call home um, twice a year, Mother's Day and Christmas. You, you couldn't get visitors. You couldn't date. You couldn't do anything that that you could get hurt. So like we couldn't go skiing or we couldn't go fly fishing, anything below, you know, above our knees because we're out there wading in the water. So it taught me discipline. It taught me to follow rules that I didn't necessarily always agree to. Like I thought that I, I was a swimmer. So why, why did I have to go up to my knees only? I was fine. But, you know, even if you're in the military, there's rules that you follow 
just because that you don't have to have a reason. And that's what teaches discipline. And that's what that I think that's what, you know, tie discipline in with spirituality and having a higher power, because I do believe in a higher power. I don't think I would have been able to been guided to my, my partners, my capital investors without some divine assistance. So that helped me. And then moving into marriage and moving into having kids and, and, and especially the divorce and having to raise those kids on my own, you need a village. I mean, you know, there is no way I could have done that and been so proud and have the, a big ego thinking that I could do it on my own. But I had mom at the, at the time. I was so broke. I even had to move in with mom and the three kids. There, was, there wasn't a lot of financial support. I kind of took a financial leap thinking that I was going to make a lot more at that other agency. And I kind of went in on a penny budget, penny payroll. And I get it. I was opening a new position. So I'm not complaining about that. I'm just kind of saying that it was difficult. So there was a lot of time spent on my knees. Whether, the, whether you believe that, that those prayers go to the higher power or not, I still feel like you're manifesting something beyond yourself. And so me pleading for assistance, me pleading for help, me pleading that I can get my kids through this and they won't turn out horrible. That's, I think, of a huge concern for parents is during divorce, am I going to jack my kids up and they're never going to be the same? But they have so many pseudo parents from, from church and being raised in the faith. Whether I would have been raised Mormon or Jew, Jewish or Catholic, I just think having a support group outside to help step in, bring you meals when you need to, have good kids to spend with your children. Because I do believe your kids turn out like the kids they hang out with. And same way with us. We are a, we are basically a, a product of our top five friends. You, you know, if you, if you hang out with people who drink and smoke, I think you're going to be doing the same. If you hang out with people who are successful, you're going to, you're more likely to be successful. So I think... If I were to, if I were to do it all over again, I would do the same stuff. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. The accountability groups and the mastermind groups and the things, the people that you can align with, it just opens the door for more opportunity and just follow in those footsteps. And you just kind of, you're just exposed to it so much. It just becomes, you achieve, have an identity shift. Um, but your son also went on a mission. Uh, you and I have talked about that. Did he have a similar experience uh, that you had? So I've got three kids. The two, you can go on a mission if you're man or woman, but my daughter was absolutely, I'm not going dad, <laughs> which I was totally fine with. And my oldest son, he didn't want to go. So he didn't go. I think, I think sometimes we too, put too much pressure on these kids to do things that they don't want to do. So I was completely fine. And, and the third one decided to go. Do I love my third one, my youngest more than any of the other three? Not, not at all. I think I love my kids the same and they, you can't raise your kids uh, the same. You, they got It's different. So what, so back to my son, Jackson, he's in Santiago, Chile. Now he's been out for almost 15 months. And like, I like my experience. He was not excited about it. He actually wanted to come home around the five month mark. I don't blame them, man. Missions are hard. Your friends are all your friends are back home or they're out. Your family's home. You are with you're with they always pair you up with somebody. They call it a companion. So you're always with a companion that you don't choose. And that companion could be one of the worst people 
to, to make your life miserable on your mission, but it teaches you tolerance, patience, and to work things out. I said, at least you can choose your wife, but even then she still will get on your nerves and you're going to have to figure that out. But at the five month mark, he's like, dad, I'm coming home. And I'm like, I, he was man enough to make the decision to go out. I felt he was man enough to make the decision to come home, but I, I wasn't wanting him to quit because I felt like that would have followed him throughout his whole lifetime. His buddies would have come home after two years and he would have been home and he would have realized those two years are actually faster than I thought. So it was more of a, th a thing for his mind and, and, and his growth. I didn't want him to quit. And uh, we went back and forth for like a month. And there were times where he's like, don't be surprised if I, you find me knocking on your door in a week, dad, I, I'm, I don't like this. But we walked, we talked it out, we walked it through. And at that six month mark, I think it something changed in his head. And I think he realized I'm not a quitter. My dad did it. My friends are out doing it. I have ancestors that have done it. It's hard. But I think he realized the person that he went out versus the person that he was six months later. And that was huge. The growth he has to learn Spanish. So he was still struggling with the language and he hated it that he wasn't able to use his gift. And that is gift of gab. And he couldn't talk. He just knew English and everybody was Spanish speaking there. And he, I think he started learning Spanish because now he's completely fluent and he he's just thriving out there. But he had to make that decision on his own. And I didn't want to be the guy who was forcing him to stay out. I really wanted him to make that decision. And because I was patient and kind of had faith that the higher power would help him, bless him with the language, bless him with, with you know, better companions and bless him with patience and tolerance. It all just worked out. But I think as a parent, we have to teach our kids hard lessons. I would have loved to have stepped in and helped bless him and, and t tell him what to do. But I couldn't do that. He has to be his own man. And, and same with my daughter and my other son. They're learning those lessons, but in a different way. I find that really interesting on the mission because of all of there's a, a lot of content out there about how humans no longer really have rites of passages into adulthood or manhood or womanhood. And that's really what that is, right? That it's a rite of passage of this is you're not the same after going through this experience as you were before. And there, there's some movements that are like trying to recreate these for like, you know, week long events or whatnot, but it's something that's been kind of lost in humanity because we just do what everyone else has done, go to college, have a little bit of a safety net with our parents. And then, you know, right into the workforce, there's no def definitive mission that you've completed that separates the line from boy to man or, or girl to woman. So I find that really interesting. It's one of the, the, the strongholds that I think is a big purpose of that mission. I, I think the big thing you learn on a mission is you do grow up because you're forced to, because you don't have mom and dad that you can turn to. Even nowadays we FaceTime once a week, which I like because it, it keeps us his, what he's doing out there builds me and I build him up. And I feel like we missed that with my parents when I only got two phone calls with them. I might have cheated once or twice and called them an extra time. But, you know, those were times where I, I really needed to chat with somebody. But, yeah, the, the, even when the women go out and they come back, <clears throat> you learn to love the people who kind of hate you. Like they, 
you're out there. I, I don't want to say you're selling religion because that puts a financial aspect to it because you're not. But in a reality, in reality, you are out there selling something, trying to teach something where it's foreign to people and they may or may not want to have anything to do with it. So you have to have a certain love for the people because they are they can be rude. They don't they don't want you know, I had plenty of doors slammed in my face. Uh, there was one time where I thought I actually wasn't going to leave this guy's apartment because I thought we were going to be chopped up and put in his freezer. Like he was, it, it's scary. So you're, you're put in, in these situations where you're forced to grow up. You're forced to rely on yourself versus go run to mom and dad, solve my problem for me. Yeah. You, you said your daughter didn't go, but I, I can understand why uh, you, she, you sent over a picture to us um, not too long ago at, with, with her. She's, like an elite dancer, right? Her team's won in national titles and all that stuff, right? So she's got like a heavy focus on being an extreme athlete. And um, you're you're in dad mode right now. She's She's got a bit of an injury and she's sitting out and, and uh, you know, you'd reached out to us to kind of send her some words of encouragement. So what's that like when you've got a, when you got a kid who's down on themselves and, and what do you say to, to pick them up? Yeah, so... My daughter, it's a, it's kind of a joke. She doesn't know what it's like to lose because all through high school, they moved her up to varsity the freshman year. And then from then on, she just, they took state, they took nationals. Then she went to college and she's now she's dancing at a whole nother level. And they wanted to do, a, you know, some moves that she wasn't part of. She's never been a gymnast, just a dancer. So she had to learn a few backflips. But the person who was spotting her didn't quite have her, and she ended up dislocating and breaking her elbow, which put her out because she couldn't straighten it. It was it was constantly bent, and it still is is a, is a certain degree bent, which will always be there. But we don't walk with our arms straight. There's a so you can't really tell. But when you're used to dancing with lines and straight and, and arms that can fully extend it throws your turns off. So, you know, either you get into a groove dancing at five and you're growing up with your body and you know how it all works. And now all of a sudden your body's not like it used to be. It was rough. I still remember the, the call that she, that I got that she showed me her broken arm and was telling me that she can no longer compete at nationals. And that was last year. And then this year she still was not a hundred percent. It gave me a real good perspective of why athletes say NFL college, when they get hurt in football, you just see them break down crying because there's that, you start to have an identity where I'm a dancer and that dancing is makes me, or I'm a football player and that football player makes me. And now all of a sudden your identity is taken away. Where does that leave you? And, and I fully got that as, as I've watched my daughter really start to, to do more therapy, to do more strength building, but that lesson that she's learning is is valuable. She's had to step up as a leader. She's been able to do things that stepping aside onto the sidelines, you see life differently. You dance differently because now you're not out there front and center on the stage. You got to take a different perspective. But that that lesson alone has taught me as well as a huge lesson to her that, OK, I am a dancer, but it's but it doesn't define me as a person. I can still be Skylar. I can still be myself and still, and, and still go on with life, even though I have an injury. But yeah, the injury has actually put her out of dance. She's no longer able to dance. That's, uh, that's actually a really 
good transition and good kind of mindset for how we like to ask everybody on this podcast, what we like to ask them. And I'm curious if this has changed in the last, you know, five years or so for you, but what is success to Mike Gallagher? If you had to put a definition to it, what's success? That's difficult. If you would have asked me when I first started, success would be a staff of three and a $2 million book of premium. That would be success. But then all of a sudden you hit that and you're like, I can do something better. I I don't know if I have a, if, if I'm to like give you like a corny answer would be, I got a, I got healthy kids and I got a happy family. I don't know. I, that is success in itself. But, but as somebody who's competitive, it's hard to define what success is because once you hit that success point, you almost forget that that's what that, that's the success to you because now you're looking at the next success point. So I just need to take a step back and remember, Mike, you hit this benchmark. So, celebrate it, enjoy it, but it doesn't happen. I, I, I've tried to because I'm always hitting that and going to the next one, the next one. I, 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 sh I wish I had a, a better answer for you, but the this, this success, aha, I don't know. I have no idea. That's a great answer. It's what I what I heard is it's the journey there. You're you're it's constantly in process, and you've got to kind of compartmentalize with the what the real meaning is for you with the family and the health. But you're still redefining it day in and day out on what the the business portion looks like. I love it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's like uh, you know having a growth mindset. You're it's almost like you're never satisfied, which is not always a great thing. I don't think, but having no. having the ability to go back and reflect on what you've done. I struggle with that as well. Cause you know, it's always like, okay, I've reached this level. What's the next level? What's the next level? And uh, it's challenging to, to like, man, yeah, we are healthy. Yeah. We have a home, we have food, we have a table we're, we are growing, we are building businesses and we're doing these things. And so I think that was a, uh, it is a hard word to define. And I think we're always defining it and we have pivotal moments in our lives that change those. Um, but Mike, I, I really appreciate you jumping on. I know that, uh, you know, in the future, when when you get the Dreampreneur Truck Podcast going, uh, running around <laughs> town, we wanna we wanna join you on the road one of these days, uh, which which is such a great idea, and I'd love to see you make that happen uh, sooner rather than later. Um, but again, thanks so much for jumping on, Mike. We're gonna post some information in the show notes so people can follow you. Um, but verbally, why don't you just t tell us, tell the listeners uh, how they can get in touch if they need any insurance or just want to talk to you uh, about anything. Perfect. So rates are high. Let's just be honest. We are getting people calling, asking us to go out and reshop with other carriers. So the biggest things I would say right now, if you wanted to reach out to me, I don't need to be your agent. If you got an agent, call that agent and have them help you. On my end, I'm happy to step in. If you don't know your agent, that's a big problem. You need to find that out. But if you need to get a hold of me and you want to actually ask me some questions or for me to review your policy, whether it be your business policy, workers comp, general liability, property equipment, or auto home, toys, whatever it may be, call me. My phone number is 602-345-0360 or my email is mike at toro, T-O-R-O-I-N-S.com. We'll include all of those in the show notes. Yeah, I was just going to say you're about to get spammed with a bunch of texts, Mike. You're a good-looking cat, and uh, you better be careful. <laughs> so <laughs> you got to watch out for all the all the ladies out there. I know you're you're taken right now. So 
And like you said, chicks dig the the pole vaulters, which I've never heard before to this podcast. <laughs> well, At least I was thinking that. One last thing before we, <laughs> before we wrap up, Mike, you are my agent. You're the man. Your team rocks. Uh, I use you for all my stuff and uh, really appreciate you hopping on. Um, we'll catch up uh, later. And for the listeners, I hope you all have a, a great day. And, and uh, Mike was able to bring some value because I know there was some value that Phil and I picked up from this conversation. Cheers, y'all. Cheers. Cheers.